when we think about transformation, we think about a Mount Sinai experience. We think about this great cataclysmic happening. But what Jesus does, because he is real, and as we respond to him, is Jesus allows each moment of our lives to be a place of transformation. Just going to the grocery store has transformational potential. Just going to a wedding. A lot of times people look for grand gestures from Jesus. You too may find yourself looking for those monumental transformations in your life, when in reality you're being changed each day in little ways. Jesus can take anything and make it a time of renewal and transformation. Pastor Daniel today will encourage you to look for Jesus working in the small, ordinary moments of your life. He's there, and if you look, you'll find him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in John chapter 2. As he begins his message, Jesus is transforming us. The reason that people come to church Sunday by Sunday is because they believe that there is a God and that God is in the process of changing us. There's really no other purpose to go to church then if there is a God and this God is doing a work to change us, if church was purposeless, if there was no transformative aspect to it, then really it's just an exercise in futility. Now, I realize that there's probably many in here today, you haven't come to church in a long time because you think to yourself, well, that's why I don't go to church. It doesn't seem to have much of a transformative quality. And I know for me, when I was 16 and, and I was able to tell my parents that I didn't feel like going to the church that we had gone to here and there, that was the reason why. It's, it's pointless. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it's not relevant for my life. Don't forget our mission and our vision. That's what we're looking at. Our mission as a church is to simply respond to Jesus. Not, that's not only our mission as a church, that is our passion as individual members of a church. And I believe that this is the key to what I would call Christian spirituality. Being a person who is inspired by the Spirit of God because of the finished work of Jesus at every juncture of our life, God wants us to simply respond to Jesus. And as we simply respond to Jesus, we are different than we used to be. Because most of us just simply respond to our environment. We respond to something we don't like in negativity. We respond to anger with further anger. But then, instead of just responding to our environment, we start to respond to Jesus. And we get negativity, but we give back grace. We get anger and we give back love and understanding. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. It's not who we are, it's who Jesus is. And as we simply respond to Jesus, life starts to change. So that's our mission our vision, because Jesus is real. For me, this is the reality of being a Christian. We call ourselves by the name of Christ because Jesus is real. And no matter who you are today, no matter where you've been, Jesus exists for you right where you are. Jesus, I like to say, is at street level 
for all of us. And every one of us, our street level looks a little different, but Jesus is real for you today. Many of us in here are experiencing that on a daily basis. The reality that Jesus is with us right where we are, right on the step that we're on. And for many of you in here today, you have yet to come to a settled understanding that no matter who you are and where you are, Jesus is right there with you. And if you turn to him, he's right next to you waiting for you to make that decision to turn to him. But because Jesus is real, we are a family of faith, fully engaged. We've been looking at that. Jesus didn't come and live and die and be resurrected just so that we can get our own private interiority correct, although it happens. He, he changes each one of us individually, but he wants us to be part of a family. And that's why the Bible is replete with familial language. God is our father. We are brothers and sisters, brethren, the family of God, the household of faith, all these terms, because we are a family. But we're a family who's fully engaged. What that means is that in any good family, every person plays their part. I was thinking about this today. As many of you know, my mother passed away when I was 21 years old. I was thinking about my grandmother, who's almost 90, Anita Cappadona. She's the coolest five-foot woman you've ever met. Little Italian grandma. She'll feed you until you're stuffed, and then she'll feed you some more on principle. And then she'll go for dessert. It's fun. It's fun. God help us all. But you know, in any family, grandmas are meant to be grandmas. Dads are meant to be dads. Moms are meant to be moms. Teenagers are meant to be teenagers. I didn't hear too many amens to that one, huh? <laughs> little babies are meant to be little babies. See, in a family, a whole family is meant to be engaged. And that's because Jesus is real. And because we're a family of faith, fully engaged, God's got a job for us to do. Notice that last phrase, transforming our community and our world. See, God isn't content just to fix you individually. That's a very Western way to look at it. He's content to fix you individually and make you part of a community, a family of faith. In that family, we're all engaged. And as we are all a family, fully engaged, now we're out transforming our community and our world. Now, what I want to do today in that statement, you notice it doesn't say that God is transforming us, but that we as a family of faith fully engaged are transforming our community and our world, our local community and the globe. But inherent within that phrase is the reality that Jesus is transforming each one of us as individuals and as a family. It's a lot like, remember the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, and then you should love your neighbor as yourself. You notice Jesus doesn't say that you should love yourself and then love God and then love your neighbor. He realizes that all humans already love themselves, and that's the problem. Because of our fallenness, we all love ourselves in improper ways. The person who is a drug addict actually loves themselves but they love themselves in a destructive way. The person who smokes, now I don't believe smoke, smoking is going to keep you out of heaven per se, but it might get you there a little quicker. The person who smokes does it because they love themselves. The person with an eating disorder, they do that out of fallen self-love. The person who sleeps around, 
does it because they love themselves, but they don't realize that the way they love themselves promotes brokenness. It's them faulty loving themselves. And that's why Jesus says, if you love God, as we love God, we begin to love ourselves in a proper way, in a holy way, in a unique way. We think about ourselves differently than comes naturally. You realize that you're more loved than you can ever dream, and you're also less lovely than you ever imagined. And those two things come together, together. So just in our mission statement, I didn't need to say that Jesus is transforming us because the fact that Jesus is real and he's made us a fully engaged family, that implies that he's transforming us. But I do want to spend today looking at how Jesus is transforming us. And I thought the best place to go would be John's gospel, chapter two. So turn there in your Bible, John chapter two. And what's interesting is this is Jesus's first miracle And what's interesting about this miracle, of course, is that Jesus did it at the request of his mother. So I thought that that was kind of appropriate as well. And actually, I didn't even realize I was doing that until I was talking to Rabe in the sound booth this morning. And he's like, hey, that's a good one, because Jesus did it at his request of his mom. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is a simple, this is a simple happening. But it's Jesus's first miracle, Jesus's first transformational miracle. And we're going to see how Jesus is transforming each of us. So let's look at it. John chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests had well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, picking up the story at the beginning, we learn in the first two verses that transformation occurs where life happens. Transformation occurs where life happens. Notice, this story, this event in the life of Jesus happens simply On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Transformation happens where life happens. This is not anything extraordinary. They're just going to a wedding. And I want to encourage you with this, because 
Oftentimes, when we think about transformation, we think about a Mount Sinai experience. We think about this great cataclysmic happenings. But what Jesus does, because he is real, and as we respond to him, is Jesus allows each moment of our lives to be a place of transformation. Just going to the grocery store has transformational potential. Just going to a wedding going out and mowing your lawn, doing the laundry. It's funny, next weekend, I'm getting to do a men's conference, and, and I got the, you know, what the conference was about, the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And I'm like, ooh, my theological nerd just went nuts, you know? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know? And as I was praying about what am I going to teach, all of a sudden, the Lord's like, just tell them about your yard. I'm like, Huh? Because I bought a lot that had never been built on. And you know what's amazing? I go out in the yard. I'm trying to get grass in there. And when you have a yard that's never been built on, what's that yard full of? Rocks, weeds. The issue is not in the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. The issue is in the human heart. And every single thing that I do in my yard, whether I'm pulling weeds or I'm rototilling or I'm raking, all of it's just reminding me that my heart is just like my yard. And isn't that true for you and I, right? The issue with us spiritually is not on God's side of the wall. It's on ours. Our hearts are full of all sorts of stuff. And right as you think you're getting a handle on it, all of a sudden something else happens, right? Your neighbor doesn't take care of their yard. And all of a sudden, all the dandelions pop up. And you're doing a great job on your side. But now your neighbor is imposing their weeds on you. Ah, Why do I bring that up? Because God is transforming my manual labor in my yard to teach me deep things about myself. Because transformation happens where life happens. And one of the beauties of being somebody who has got a faith and a relationship with God is now God enlightens your life with transformative potential. Just being where you are, you're raising your kids. And you're watching your kids growing up and you're thinking, man, I'm just changing another diaper. And then you're like, well, actually, I'm a lot like my little baby who's crying because their diaper's dirty, but you're changing it, but doesn't realize that you're changing it, but they're still freaking out over it. Any parent ever had that experience? Yeah, we're like that, aren't we? We're like that. We're like, I'm just like that. God's changed me. I'm freaking out as if God's never going to change me, but he is. See, transformation occurs where life happens at street level for you and I. It makes me think of Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now listen to this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice that. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Now when does conformity to the world happen? Every single moment of our lives. Every single thing that you and I experience is having a conforming, transforming impact on our lives. So he says, Paul says, don't be conformed every single moment of your life to this world, but be transformed by letting your mind be renewed. 
See, and that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God takes something that can make you bitter and now turns it to make you better. It takes something that would normally be debilitating and makes it constructive in your life. Rather than hard things being destructive, now it's constructive and it's building you up. And it happens every single moment. So as God's spirit renews our mind, then we begin to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Because what happens is, is now something happens and now we say, well, God's will is this and I'm just going to step into that. How many of us in here today, the events of your life, you've allowed to make you bitter? The things that have gone on in your life, now all of a sudden you're here and you're just mad at God. You're mad at people. You're mad at yourselves. You're looking for everyone to blame and you're like, look, I'm justified in it. But what you have done is you have allowed yourself to be conformed to a way of thinking that has nothing to do with God and has everything to do with exactly what Satan wants, which is you to be nowhere. And you feel it. You're here today because you feel that tension in your heart. You're like, I don't want to be bitter, but I am. I don't want to be hurt, but I am. And I believe that you're here today to hear this because God wants you to remember that transformation occurs where life happens. And this life you've been given, no matter what the experiences are, are meant to draw you closer to him, not to pull you away from him. But you have to choose. You have to choose in the midst of, of uncertainty to walk by faith and not by sight. You choose that. God calls, you either respond or you resist. And that's true for all of us. When God calls out of circumstances, we either say, yes, Lord, or we say, no, Lord. And when you say no, Lord, long enough, that's where bitterness comes. That's where hurt comes. That's where pain comes. That's where all that happens. Because transformation occurs where life happens. Now look at verse three. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Notice, transformation seizes moments of tangible need. Transformation seizes moments of tangible need. Brothers, sisters, listen. Where there is no need, we just trust because it's easy. But when there's a need, that's where transformation happens. Because when there's a need, now you're a prime candidate for God to show his hand. But what most of us do, especially in 21st century America, with all the blessings we have, is we don't really know what need is like, except in extreme cases. So we do everything we can to avoid situations of need. And because we do that, I don't think it's necessarily wrong because plenty is always better than need. But what happens is in the times when need comes, we don't know how to handle it. But transformation seizes the moment. I chose that word specifically because Jesus' first miracle is going to happen at a place of tangible need. Why? Because in Jesus' culture, at a wedding, if you ran out of wine, that is like a major social faux pas. Major. In that culture, you got to realize weddings weren't just the way we do it now where we just invite the people we want. We have A-lists and B-lists and C-lists and we spend hundreds of dollars per person and if people say no, you invite the next group of people. In that culture, the whole community came. 
And when a father had a baby daughter, every single year he would take a barrel of wine and stick it away because that celebration wasn't just for a couple hours at a Swank Country Club. That celebration was all week long. And if you didn't well prepare for that, these are closed-knit communities. Not like today where 15% of any given location people move every year. 15% of any community in America people move out of every year and move into. Not like that. In that day, people stayed where they were. And when you were the family that ran out of wine at your kid's wedding, that never was something that people got over. It seems weird. It was just the way it was. There are certain weird social faux pas we have today. I'm not going to bore you with them because we've all committed them. And why do we want to bring up those things anyway? But this was a major social faux pas. Them running out of wine would have followed that couple for the rest of their lives because their parents didn't take care of it. And you can imagine, potentially, the days leading up to that wedding when the father's like, I don't know if, you know, maybe they were, didn't have the means to be able to provide enough wine. We don't know the circumstances, but they're being like, we might run out of wine, and if everybody comes, are we going to make it? And, you know, what's going to happen? You can imagine, I mean, women have enough struggles in the planning of a wedding. Now imagine this on top of it. But transformation seizes moments of tangible need. If you're here today and you have a need, then you're a prime candidate for God to do something transformational in your life. If you don't have a need, you can just walk by sight. Things are easy. But where need exists, that's where God fills in the gap. Now, look at what happens in verse 3. Jesus' mother says to him, they have no wine. Verse 4, Jesus says to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, (laughs) this is interesting. Because Jesus calls his mother woman. Now, that reads to us as, um, as a negative way to talk. I mean, if you said to your mom, now woman, your mom would probably not be very happy. Add to that that in the Greek, the word woman is the word goon. G-U-N-E. It's probably more goon-A, but you know what I mean? But when you say, when you, so don't call your mom a goon today, please. That's not going to work. In a lot of ways, that word woman, that's translated woman, is a lot like mama. It reads more terse for us than it did for them. But what's interesting is Jesus responds to his mom, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, what is he talking about? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. Check this out. Transformation always involves the cross. Transformation always involves the cross. You might say, Pastor, how do you get that out of that verse? Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus called his mother Mary woman one other time. Just one in the whole Bible. John chapter 19, verse 26, when on the cross, he said, woman, behold your son. Jesus is In today's message, Pastor Daniel began the story of Jesus' first recorded miracle, changing water into wine. This wasn't a huge event or a widely spread announcement of his ministry. Jesus was at a simple wedding, lending help at the request of his mother. You learn today that Jesus is still transforming ordinary situations and ordinary people. He's working on your heart in small ways, but they'll add up to a big transformation. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. 
thanks so much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's word. And I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. Find out more by visiting our website, jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to jesusisrealradio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue this incredible story of transformation. He'll point out that the miracle Jesus performed didn't happen in front of the entire wedding party. Only a few members of the staff knew the origin of the wine. This small gesture moved through the crowd in waves, though, saving the wedding and bringing unexpected joy to the family and guests. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series, Because Jesus is Real, We Respond. Until then, may God bless.